Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome back into the Savage Situation podcast. It's your host here, Adam Savage. Good to have you guys here. And we've had such an amazing couple of seasons. We're back with a third season. Now I have a co-host every week, Ian Chambers. And we've got so much coming your way. And we have guests coming on. We're talking about the gaming world as well as, you know, things like online, lifestyle, sport as well. So it kind of encapsulates kind of everything that we like. And we hope you guys enjoy it as well. Now, one thing that's really going to help grow the show and expand to a bigger audience and broaden its horizons is if you guys do leave a review. It's really important important to subscribe and follow to make sure you never miss an episode but reviews are so key to getting us as high up the charts as humanly possible so that everyone can hear our brilliant podcast that you guys obviously a massive part of as well i do make sure to leave a five-star review if you can that'd be amazing with a comment as well and hopefully it'll boost our show to outer space and beyond enjoy this new episode it's a banger if i do say so myself i would say that though but genuinely enjoy Hello, welcome to the Savage Situation Gaming Podcast. I'm Adam Savage, and as a host across esports and video games, I've been lucky to work alongside a ton of brilliant people, and I like to think I've gained a very unique insight into how the gaming world works. Whether you're a gamer, someone who used to play as a kid, has slightly lost touch, or you're simply curious because you heard that gaming can sometimes make you Hollywood money from your bedroom, this podcast is absolutely for everyone. Now, during lockdown, I've been chatting to special guests from pro gamers to streamers to the influencers who've become the faces of the industry, all about how they started and the experiences they've had in this ever-evolving world. Be sure to subscribe, please, to be notified when new episodes are uploaded. Now, let's meet my guest today. This week on the show, I have a special guest who I had such a blast hosting together with at E3 2018. We basically spent three days just goofing around. It was amazing. Um, celebrating the launch of a new game with celebrity guests, broadcasting from the LA Convention Center. Such good memories, honestly. But since then, Malik Forte has continued to be one of the most exciting hosts and casters in the esports world. He has this unbelievable repertoire of games that he's worked on and games which defined his childhood and some stories about his life which really blew me away. We of course also dive deeper into the Overwatch League. Now, he was an acclaimed host at the League and earlier this year. There was the aftermath of news uh, that broke um, with talent all leaving uh, has been a little bit of a mystery. Now, he goes into more depth here uh, and tells us a bit more about why that all happened, um, which he hasn't spoken much about before. Malik and I recorded this episode back in March 2020 this year, just after lockdown hit both myself in the UK and him in California. So the pandemic is very raw and new for us both. I hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I did. 
I am delighted to welcome this week on The Savage Situation. My man, Malik Forte. Buddy, how are you? How's things going? What's up, man? I'm good, man. I'm doing about as good as you could be doing at this particular moment in time. <laughs> what an insane time to be alive right now. This is, this is wild. Really? Really? It's wild, bro. It's, it's, it's unimaginable. Um, I mean, as of recording it, today's episode, obviously, uh, in the UK right now, we're currently in lockdown. Where, where are you in the world and what, what's it like right now? I'm, I'm in Los Angeles, California, and uh, we are also on lockdown as well. Uh, there's no like National Guard patrolling the streets or anything. People are actually being a little bit loose about it and going to the beach and stuff like that. So they're just now shutting down beaches. It's unimaginable. I, I think I'm more so flabbergasted by the way people are handling the situation than I am about the actual situation itself. Uh, so my, yeah. my brother, my brother lives out in LA, and he's. Uh, I think he was. T- he's been kind of what's, uh, family WhatsApping us, just kind of like the, the nature of like all the lockdowns, like everything's kind of like you know closed until further notice. It's it's it's, it's a it's a crazy. I mean, here in London as well, it's a crazy time, man. So as long as yeah. you're well and your family are well, that's the main thing. Likewise, man. Likewise, we're good over here, man. We just we're enjoying the time together. <laughs> to be honest, uh, of course. Though this is a chance to not only hop online and 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 record a a killer podcast like this, but also gives us an excuse to hop online and play some games, dude. Yeah, man. I've been playing a lot of Apex, Apex Legends. Um, the rank season four has been so much fun, or season three, it's been so much fun. They uh, they're doing things differently. They have like the split where they're going back to the old map from when the game first came out, season one. So Kings Canyon, Kings Kings Canyon, yeah, we're going back to Kings Canyon. So that just well, old school. It's like a year old. Old school. I, I know, right? <laughs> I know, right? Well, I mean, you got to give it to respawn, like for them to have two maps in their br game within the span of a year so uh, it's commendable that's a lot of content they're putting out there so have you checked out uh, um warzone yet you play any card warzone i did i did play some warzone that's another br i i was a big fan of blackout so i was really curious to see what they were going to do this time around and uh i, I like some of the changes they made the the whole uh economy system where you can like respawn your your buddies back i like that a lot i love the gulag dude the gulag is, is the nuts man like i love it like for, oh, yeah. for, fan, for, fan, for for listeners right now who don't know what, what we're talking about, the gulag is like a, I guess it's kind of like a, a last like a last chance scenario, kind of like you get a one on one kind of um, opportunity that if you beat your kind of opponent to go back into the game for like one extra, like like you know I guess like a one a one kind of continue if you will. Yeah, it's a continue, another life. Yeah. But it's a chance to play against. But it's kind of cool because if you're like if you're in there as well, your teammates kind of fighting out. You can kind of throw rocks and indicate where like someone is and kind of give their position away. And it's it's just a really cool system. I think it's really fun. So yeah, it makes the games a little longer, but it's fun. It's very fun, and I mean, it's, it's adrenaline rush being in the gulag. It's you or them. Only one's coming out. <laughs> um, tell me about this. I mean, we're going to talk about like your entire life. Um, <laughs> this is like this is the podcast of your life, Malik. Oh boy, we're going to go deep, real deep. Oh man! But I want—I want to find out what kind of where it started. Like, um, before we get into kind of that, like your gaming life and where you are in esports and stuff. Talk about kind of like where you grew up and things as well. So, was it? Was it? If I read, were you in Cincinnati? Is that where you kind of grew up? Yes, sir. Cincinnati, Ohio. Born and raised. It was. I mean, I had my mom, a single mother. She raised three. Had a little brother and little sister as well. Uh, and honestly, my mom was just. She did such a good job, like just kind of masking the situation and making it good and comfortable for us i really didn't know how like broke and poor we were growing up it was just it was uh, i was unaware 
and eventually my mom got on her feet and we ended up being like pretty middle class uh so later on so like i guess like when i got into high school we were kind of hitting that middle class threshold and so that was cool but it was it was it was cool bro i i, I honestly though I've been playing video games since I was like four, so I don't really remember much of my life without video games, <laughs> to be honest. So were you gaming from an early age, and four is four is a pretty early early entry point into the gaming world. I like that. Four, four is a good age to kick off your... When, yeah. when did it kind of kick off for you? Was it kind of like a retro... Kind of, I guess like a retro... Atari. And t- mate, you've gone way back. Yeah, 2600, man. We're talking... That, we're talking a long... That's like what? Like, like yeah, 80s? Like, like, Late 80s. You know, playing Pong. Pong was... A, ooh, Pong was the ultimate competitive game, man. I, I definitely had some some feuds with cousins over Pong. Pitfall, that was another one. That was, that was a good one. Yeah, some old school games. It was kind of like Prince of Persia, but in a jungle. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you had to jump over like lava pits and alligator pits and stuff like that. God, yeah, I remember that. I mean, that was, there were, there were, the, there were the better times. I mean, at the moment, I guess, I, I, you know, I, I have a young, a young little boy and I'm kind of already thinking, he's only two, but I'm thinking, right, He's two years away from entering Malik territory for when he needs to get into games. Where does he start? Does he start with Pong? Or does he go straight into like, I don't know, like PlayStation Two kind of? I have I have no idea where to start the kid off. So. You gotta you gotta put an array of games in front of them, and whatever they play the most, let them play it. That's kind of, and just kind of police it and make sure it's. Like, I mean, your child, if your four year old's playing Grand Theft Auto, that's a different. That's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. I, I need to call in a counselor for some help there. But I think I think uh, I think that's a good entry point there. I think it's a good you know let him choose his own path. Yeah. Would you say the first game you actually ever played then was like Pitfall, Pit, or Pong? Was there anything else in that kind Pac-Man. of? Pac Man. Uh, they had some licensed games too on Atari. I forgot which ones. I think there was like a RoboCop game I played. Or was that NES? It might have been NES. That was the next system I got. The NES. And that was the one that really like took me into like my current gamerhood. I was just playing that one nonstop. Everything from the Mario Brothers games. Uh, what else was on there? Chippendale. The NES was a, was, was a, it was my first kind of real kind of time because my, you know, I, my dad kind of got it for Christmas. I, I don't know where my dad got it, but he got it and we kind of played it together. It was kind of like a, I kind of took it off him very quickly. I loved the thing. I was addicted because you're right. It had such great games and they were, they were yeah. you know, I had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was my kind of yeah, my jam. You remember blowing in the cartridge, right? Oh, mate. Like it, uh, <laughs> I, the amount of times, even now when I blow, I blow with like a lot in my mouth. I feel like kind of like something that I like kind of go in my muscle in my mouth because I, I remember the kind of, it's one of those kind of residual kind of like, pain and injuries from my childhood especially when the game wouldn't work bro you just a uh, vacuum man or not a vacuum but a leaf blower rather into that thing just trying to make sure it works bro i mean was that even a thing did it even work was it like an urban myth i don't even know nah man that was a myth i mean it was somebody somebody proved it to be a myth but i, I honestly believe in my heart that it helped at the time because the thing is you give it like three or four times and eventually it did work and you thought see i knew yeah. it worked it, it definitely yeah. works it's a thing there's a little bit of dust on there i had to get the dust out of there <laughs> where in reality you just didn't get the cartridge quite lined up properly until that moment so that's that's yeah. the real kind of yeah, ins and outs of it but um i mean when you i mean you at that point in your life obviously four years old you are playing, you know, you've gone from Atari to NES. I presume, like, were you down the Super Nintendo route? Were you kind of, like, stuck with Nintendo? Did you kind of play everything? Oh, man, that's when my fanboyism came along. Because, like, I'm, I remember being a Sega Genesis fanboy. And my cousins had the Super Nintendo, but I had the Sega Genesis. I was, like, Sonic. I, I jumped over. And, yeah, I, I remember games were released on one or the other and that would be like an argument i'd have with my cousins so i'd be like oh that game is only on super nintendo that game is trash 
because I couldn't, I didn't have access to it. That was really the reason why I was being a hater because that's kind of what a fanboy does. But yeah, I was Sega Genesis dude. In the UK, obviously, we called the Sega Genesis the Sega Mega Drive. So I remember when I heard, I, I think I saw like a, I don't know, like a magazine or something, and I saw the word Sega Sega Genesis, and me being the idiot kid that I was, I was like, <laughs> there's another Sega? Oh my goodness, dog! There were so many Segas though. Like, I oh man, mini the Sega was it like a CD disc one? Like, I, I, there was Sega CD and 3DO both, like two different. Which is the one that had like the there was one that had like um, a live action kind of element to it. It's like a live action movie. That was Sega. That was Sega CD. 3DO was more of a game games, and there were like attachments you can put onto the Genesis or Mega Drive, depending. Thank you. Thanks for that. I'm trying to be global over here, bro. I'm trying. Appreciate that, bro. You know, in this in this world, we have to communicate online around the world right now. It's it, I appreciate it. But I think I think with Sega CD, <laughs> you also had like um, was that when they had Sonic 3D? I think it was on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it was. I was just a bit like, what happened? What happened to Sonic here? This this 3D stuff is not is not cutting the mustard for me. Man, it was it was interesting because when Mario 64 came out, they did it so much better. Like playing Mario 64 was like the first time we got to see Super Mario in that 3D realm. And it was just like, it was, it was all, it was, it was jaw dropping to see that. It was like, yo, Mario's like, all these things are 3D now. And when they did it on Sega, just, ugh, it was nasty. I was like, I don't even want to play this. What was it? Was it the Sega Saturn was the same kind of time as then? It was Sega Saturn, I think. Sega Saturn was the one that came after, yeah, after all that. Yeah. And we won't, we won't talk about the Dreamcast. I think we'll just bypass that completely. <sighs> yeah, I don't want to cry today. I think I've done enough crying with the current state of our globe. <laughs> Sega Saturn, Sega Saturn is a very slept-on console. I do want to say that, um, and that's not the Sega fan. Well, it may a little bit be the Sega fanboy in me saying this, but uh, there were some games like uh, there was a fighting game called Fighters Mega Mix. They combined all the fighters from Virtua Fighter and all the fighters from the game Fighting Vipers, and they actually threw some Sega characters in there too. And it was like one of the best fighting games I ever touched in my life. And I used to love Virtual Fighter for me. It was like um, I think it was a character. I think there was a character with like a red ponytail. I think his name was Wolf. Yeah, Wolf. Yeah, yeah, Wolf. He was my guy. He would he would like do the spinning pile driver or you know the, the thing where he took you and swung you by the legs and threw you. Yeah, and every time he won, he'd go woo like a wolf. <laughs> I mean, we, you were, I mean, you were playing, um, obviously, all these games growing up. We, you know, we, there, there's no doubt, you know, there are, there are some people who kind of come into gaming quite late, but obviously you were there from the, from the get-go, man. I, I presume as well you were Game Boy and Game Gearing, all that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Sega Nomading as well. Sega, no, Sega Nomading? Yeah, you ever heard of it? No, no, no. What's that? Oh, man, I'm about to show you how much of a fanboy I am for real now. Uh, there's a console called the Sega Nomad. It's a portable Sega system that you can play Genesis games in or Mega Drive games in. Let me tell you, it was a bad, it was a bad console. Where like, like the battery life, it took like four AA batteries, and the batteries would last an hour. For someone who works in the gaming world to not know about a gaming system, I, I, I feel a little bit sheepish right now. Bro, I'm telling you, this is some fanboy stuff. Like you, I wouldn't expect anyone else to know it unless you were just like a Sega fanboy. But I had one of those. People would walk around with their game gears. And I'm like, well, I play that when you can play actual Genesis games on the go, and then I'd like. Pull out my nomad. You took the full the full Genesis cartridges on the move with you. Yeah, the whole library, the whole catalog played on it, and you could plug a, a, a second player controller in, and they can play too. You could hook it up to your television. It had all the works. It was the Nintendo Switch before the Switch. Happened. You yeah, he went from like obviously the Nomad and all these different consoles and, and and gaming systems, and obviously you went through. I presume you went to like you know you went to college, uni, and then you 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 found your way into 
kind of a gaming career like what was what was your entry point into the kind of the gaming a gaming as a job oh yeah so for a long time it wasn't for a long time it was just the thing i did on the side and then i had an actual job and when i say actual job i mean like i was doing stuff that wasn't really tied to my like passion or career i was like working nine to fives at re- in retail and uh there was a period of time where i was just doing like a lot of music producing for a company uh Stuff like that. So, uh, but on the side, I'd always have like a gaming blog that I'd write articles and game reviews on. I used to have a YouTube channel where I made game reviews and just like gaming videos, which got a little bit semi-popular. It was like early on in YouTube days when people were like just now catching on to watching and subscribing the channel. So a lot of people subscribed to mine and uh, I guess people at E3 saw that. So when I like applied to go to E3, I started getting access and I started going to events and just fell into it. Was there was there a point that you? Because I know you worked for you worked with Nerdist Industries, right? Yeah, I mean, that must have been a that was a big step up. Anyway, <clears throat> what was that like it, as an experience? It was great, man. Like honestly, I got to take all the stuff that I self taught myself about like being a you know a writer and uh, running a blog and take that stuff over to Nerdist and apply it and with a whole bunch of like-minded individuals who were just as talented and just like as into that stuff. And yeah. it was just such a good team working there. So for me, man, that was a, that was a timeless experience. Cause it's very seldom that you work with like a team of people and you just like sync with everybody. But that was the case at Nerdist. Being in the same kind of environment as people who kind of, you can bounce off each other. You have the same kind of interests, ideas. Suddenly you're in a, you're in a space where it's like, it's not just me anymore. I'm with people that are in the same boat. This is great. It may, it just makes for a, it makes, it make it just, you kind of almost feel a sense of relief and a sense of like clarification that your passion isn't just something that you're kind of a weird person to have. It's like, it's, it's shared by multiple people. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was that that's was something that I just couldn't imagine happening. <laughs> like and to be able to do it for a living too was was awesome and we also just had like we had people there that had lots of experience from like G4 TV in those days and they were able to bring a lot of that over to Nerdist. So it was interesting to soak that up because I had been a person who watched G4 back when it was Tech TV like from the very beginning and to be able to work with some of those producers and some of the people who like spearheaded that whole movement, that was great. And uh, yeah, that's how I met Jessica. That's how I met Jessica Chobot. It was through there. Well, see, Jessica is uh, someone that we, you know, obviously worked with you guys, the three of us, uh, the three amigos worked together at E3 2018, right? With uh, the release of Just Cause 4, which was super fun. Like that was a great, a great um, experience like to hang out and to kind of pre- like, we basically hosted a show for, I guess the world to see online is the kind of like the news because E3 is a crazy, exciting place to be for the releases, the announcements, the news. And we got to kind of showcase a game with like celebrities. For, for yeah, them. that was that was super cool. Uh, made some good friends, too. I still keep in touch with Armani Reigns. One of the crazy things this year, of course, is E3 is canceled this year. I mean, the, I mean, there's so many things have been canceled event wise, man. I know it's it's super sad. Like, I mean, how how has it impacted you personally as well? Like, how how do you feel about it? Is it as kind of like the slate right now? Like, it looks kind of um, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of worrying because there's nothing really going on until we have more clarity of what's happening in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know what's going on or what's going to happen with this this virus because it's still spreading. So yeah, it, it's impacted me a lot, man. Of course, I was pretty much working only live events. It's kind of what I built my career around at this point in time. Uh, to where you don't see me doing much pre-tape stuff or 
much like uh, internet content. I've been in live broadcasts a lot. And now that they're canceling all these events, you know, uh, it's it's been a hit on the wallet. But I think it's it, it's still cool because in some aspects, we're finding ways to adapt to it. And we're still doing these broadcasts. We're just doing them from our, our homes. Uh, and in some other areas, like it's allowed me to explore like the streaming world. I've been doing some streaming and that's been fun building a community. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I feel like f- for, for me being a gamer, uh, and understanding just kind of how the landscape works, this is not much as, as much of a struggle for me as I think it may be for many or I, I, I feel for folks who are just like getting their like broadcast career started or just started working live events or people who work on in production, those people are getting hit very hard uh, when it comes to this industry. So uh, I wish them the best. I think for the most part, though, gaming is like, uh, there's a lot of aspects of this industry that are recession-proof, especially if you're on the development side, because if you can make a game and you and you can work from home on a game, then uh, that's basically... People are still going to buy it, like if we're, especially if they're at home. People are still going to buy games. So, I mean, do you think it's going to have a massive Im- impact on the esports world as well? Definitely, definitely, man. Um, you saw these events getting canceled like f- right off the bat. We're still wondering if Evo is even going to happen, uh, which is the biggest fighting game tournament in the world. That you know, we don't know how long this is going to last, and it's cutting kind of close. We're seeing events in June getting canceled, and Evo happens at the end of July. So. We don't know, but hopefully this is the impact is uh, for, for for esports. Like we're able to bounce back. I wonder how Overwatch League and Call of Duty League, all these like uh, leagues where they have multiple events planned out throughout the entire year. Like for instance, I was in Houston just before all this stuff started breaking off, and uh, now they've canceled like more other events that I was supposed to be at. Like I was supposed to be in Toronto, and that one's not happening. So I wonder like. For all the fans that bought tickets and like all the revenue that that was bringing in for those teams, like how that's going to impact the organization as a whole. I'm really interested to see things like that. I mean, I mean, you mentioned Overwatch League there and we're going to we're going to go into that because obviously Overwatch League is it's huge and you're a huge, you, you know, you were a huge part of it. I mean, how did you actually start working with Blizzard in the first place? Uh, I started working with Blizzard back in 2015 when they were launching Heroes of the Storm. Uh, they or no 2014 I'm sorry when they were launching uh, Heroes of the Storm they had like a launch event and I forgot who I, I my friend Michelle Morrow she was the host of BlizzCon and she had talked to a few people about me they had known me because I worked with them a lot when I was a Nerdist as a as a journalist you know writing articles on their games and they were like well look, you know we we are looking for a host we'd like to give you a shot so I host this launch event with Anna Prosser it went very well and. Uh, they brought me back for like other stuff after that, pretty much. I just, you know, it was one of those things where I was like kind of in the right place at the right time, though. I mean, your work with the Overwatch League, obviously, when that kind of kicked off in twenty, is it twenty sixteen? It kind of kicked off the Overwatch League. I think it was around then. And you were, uh, you know, you, you've reported. You've been a desk host, stage host. I mean, you've been the full Monty, baby. You've done everything. Doing all those different things, like it must have helped you massively work on your craft as well as like a, as like a face of, of overwatch and as a as a as an esports talent in general yeah man uh it definitely has i think the thing i've learned a lot uh is about personally is because I, I never really considered myself to be a host 
when I was doing the YouTube stuff, I always did that stuff as me. When I wrote articles, I always did that stuff as me. And I kind of never really cleaned up. I feel like when you're hosting, since you're kind of like the person who's driving it, like for instance, at a, when I'm desk hosting at Overwatch League, I'm driving the conversations and moving the show along. So there, there's a lot of work that comes with that. And that to me, I couldn't just sit there and just be me and be like, I had to kind of incorporate myself into that structure. And that was something that uh, for me was very challenging at first, but I got the hang of it after a while. And it's something I enjoy. I, I do enjoy like seeing all the different roles and how there's a, there's a craft to them all. Even when you're interviewing people, there's a whole craft to it. I think I had one of the most awkward moments in esports. Tell me, tell me. Yeah, I had a pretty awkward moment uh, that happened where I, some guy was trying to shake my hand when I was hand gesturing and it just was a, it was a botch. It was so bad that Jimmy Fallon decided to take it and put it on his show. Jimmy Fallon made fun of us. Oh, mate, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I think everyone that's listening right now is gonna 100% Google the nuts out of that right now. Yeah, Jimmy, just write Jimmy or type in Jimmy Fallon Seagull handshake. It'll come up somewhere. Do you know, what? I actually think I've seen it. I think, I think, weirdly in my mind, I'm thinking. I've seen Malik shake someone's hand, and I swear to God, it was weird. Well, okay, so I announced my departure from the Overwatch League, and I used that gif of that moment as the gif to make the announcement. Because it was like the first event I did for Overwatch. It was the first event that I did live. We were on TBS, so we're on television. This is my first time ever on television. It was a first for all that stuff, and I was just like there, and this super awkward thing happens, and... I don't know. I, I think in that moment, I learned a lot. <laughs> did you in the moment as well really think to yourself, that was pretty awkward? Or did you in the moment you think, that eh, was fine, no one will notice? Uh, no, I knew people would definitely notice, but I wanted to make it, I, I think that he real, he was like really getting ready to freak out a little bit. So I tried to calm him down immediately. If you look at the clip, you hear me saying, yo, it's okay, man. I'm sorry I missed your handshake. Like, Taking, taking responsibility for it, even though I don't think it was my fault, because who shakes with their left hand if they're not left-handed? Who? Nobody. This will forever be the debate of Reddit. Whose fault was it? <laughs> yeah, you always go in with the right. Come on. Even if you're a lefty, you go in with the right every time. I think, I mean, that, I mean, that sounds hilarious. I mean, the thing is, the good thing is, though, obviously, you had the skill to kind of, like, you know, style out and say, it's cool, man. It's all fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. But the thing is, as soon as, as, soon as you're, like, you know, in that esports... Oh, you know, you're live to to thousands, tens of thousands of viewers, hundreds of thousands. But you know, someone's going to see it, and you just know the trolls are going to get hold of that and just go wild. <laughs> yeah, man, I have I have a love hate relationship with trolls. Though there are times where I'll troll the broadcast or I'll troll somebody on camera, and there's times I'll troll the trolls in the chat. You know, it's all fair game, mate. It's all fair game. Yeah, man. It's video games. We're supposed to have fun. You obviously, when you're working with Overwatch League as well, you're working alongside some some super legendary kind of talent. You know, Semler, Monte Cristo, Chris Puckett. Uh, must have been an amazing environment to work in around those guys. Oh yeah, man. And this it was again one of those situations where like you get along with everybody. You know, I think the the only difference between me working at Nerd is with that team because I was working very intimately with that team, whereas with Overwatch League. There were a lot of different roles, so at times the groups would break out. So, like, the desk talent would break out into our own separate meetings, uh, and the commentators would break out into their own separate meetings. So there were times where we got to collab and then times where we were kind of broken out, whereas with Nerdist, I felt like it was always, like, our central group always doing all the things. Anybody knows, like, that was that was a pretty world-class lineup of talent. 
that they brought in for the Overwatch League. Nate Nancer, of course, he was aiming for the stars with this one. And uh, honestly, like, the the writing's not on the wall because, you know, a lot of people are already making doom and gloom stories about the Overwatch League, especially in the midst of what's happening with the pandemic and whatnot. But I think I think the model's there, man. There's so many people who are so passionate about the league and so passionate about the players and the teams that uh, – Anytime you see something like that, there's got to be something there that is sustainable. I mean, for our listeners right now who, um, you know, we'd be doing an injustice if we didn't talk about what happened with, with OWL 2020. Um, yeah. You know, you know, some context. January comes around, the season kicks off in February or so, and suddenly on an almost daily basis one week, we see that the top tier talent like yourself are dropping like flies and you're not signing up to 2020. Um, what can you tell us about what exactly happened from your point of view? Like, what was the actual course that kind of like or the collision course where everything just kind of seemed to kind of go yeah i mean from my perspective it was it was a lot of business a lot of life changes and uh just kind of everybody analyzing the value of their time that was especially what it was for me because coming into hosting in esports i had always just hopped around and hosted multiple games uh, you saw me hosting Rainbow Six events. You saw me at Street Fighter events. I was everywhere doing everything. That's just kind of what I was enjoying. Because I like I like video games. I love this industry as a whole. I play everything. And sometimes I don't, I don't really dedicate myself to just one game. That's something tough about that. But I loved Overwatch so much that I was willing to do so uh, for the two years that I did. What, what it came down to this year for me was that uh, it just was a lot of time to be putting into one game that I didn't want to put in. And they actually made me a pretty decent offer. There was like a lot of talk of people getting lowballed. They didn't try to lowball me because they, they made an initial offer. I told them no. And then they came back with a counter offer, which was like pretty close to what I wanted. Uh, but I told them like for me to give up 30 plus of my weekends, I'm newly married. I have a, a wife to take care of. I have things to take care of. I just, I would much rather just kind of freelance because then I could work 10 weekends and get what you would pay me for 30. Like it was, it was one of those type of situations. And again, like, you know, I, it was never any bad blood or anything, but for me, I didn't want to stay parked and attached to this one game uh, for a whole nother year. We had like a little bit of a disagreement too the year before uh, with some, uh, or I had a disagreement with some folks. There was an Apex event I wanted to host and I wasn't able to host it because they needed me for Overwatch League. And I was told that we were going to be able to work around things like that, but we didn't for that particular time. And it was, it kind of hurt me because I'm a big Apex fan. I was really looking forward to like working with the Apex folks. And so when it happened, I was just really upset and I was like, man, this is just going to make me look at next year a lot differently. And so when the time came, <clears throat> I was just thinking about that moment and just just in general, just like for my life, like growing and just growth. I wanted to move on. I embraced doing the desk hosting role when I was there. I don't really think that's my calling. Well, what's your kind of what's your calling, do you think? Well, I, I when I came on board, I was a stage host. I was the guy holding the microphone at the be you know, on the stage, interacting with the fans. And that seemed to be where I thrived the most. And it's just where I'm the most comfortable. So. Me making this decision allowed me to go back to emceeing. It allowed me to go back to being a stage host. 
Uh, and I was enjoying doing that. Like when I was down in Houston last month, it was, it, it kind of reminded me of like, oh man, this is what I enjoy doing for the Overwatch League. And this is what I had been doing in the Overwatch scene since I first came in. So the reason why I ended up on the desk was more so just because like roles were getting cut and they didn't want to tell me like, well, we're cut the stage host role. So we don't, we're not going to use you. They wanted to still incorporate me into the show. So the, it was like the production was working to keep everybody there. There's so many like rumors and so many people saying things that about our production and them like screwing us over, but they really did try to work with us as much as they could. There were definitely some creative differences, uh, not just with me, mainly with a lot of the other guys. Everyone was kind of transitioning like in their lives. Puckett's a good example. His wife, she took like an amazing offer in New York and he said, hey, I'm going to support my wife and make this move with her. And that's ended up being his decisions. And a lot of people just saw us all making these like transitions in our lives at the same time. And they took that as the Overwatch League is dying or there's something big happening internally. There were a couple of the talent who definitely were trying to slam the door on their way out and definitely had like a couple of uh, issues. And rightfully so. I believe that they're justified in the reason why they're upset or they were upset. But that wasn't the case for me. It was uh, just more so a time for me to move on we're, we're so used to reading kind of what we like the headlines we, we kind of see you know you kind of google stuff and kind of look for the headlines of you know such and such isn't renewing you know, this person's not going back and you immediately yeah. think there's some kind of animosity behind the scenes that we don't know about but in reality you know yeah there's always going to be some kind of you know obligatory you know stuff that you kind of don't necessarily want to follow through with from a from a uh, you know from a organization kind of you know publisher standpoint but when it comes down to it everyone's got a life everyone's got like you know certain goals things they want to achieve you know a lot a lot of it comes yeah. down to family you know as a as a you know as a, someone as well as a, as a wife and and a son you know you can't go away you know 30 weeks a year um is, is is an insane amount of time to spend away the weekends are precious right so the homestand matches as well that overwatch league announced where teams kind of compete all over the world you're traveling to and from Every, everywhere from you know Shanghai to Paris to London to you know you name it, were you kind of apprehensive about the, the amount of travel you'd be doing as well? Well, no, no, I wasn't because they shoot the desk show from LA in a remote studio, so I was going to st- end up staying here at all. And actually, the choice I made would require me to travel more because I would have to go to the home stands to MC. I was actually cool with that though because I I I love the Overwatch League fan fandom. The people that come to the live events are all some of the the nicest people that I've dealt with in gaming. And so for me, that was, that was what I was there for. That was what I was enjoying the most. I think that uh, the, the homestand model just in general, just like kind of the idea of it was the loftiness of it. I think that made a lot of people uneasy. The sustainability of the league, like we don't know, man, like there's a lot of numbers that aren't out in the public and never will be. And there's just a lot of stuff that I don't know, even though I was like, on the ground floor like i was ground zero talking to the team owners and stuff there's a lot of stuff i don't know and i think that uh we just got to sit back and just if you enjoy it watch it but if you don't like yeah i mean it's a, you know. it's a transitional phase right now i think for for a lot of a lot of you know esports in general a lot of like different games and and, and leagues and, and i think that you know we i mean we saw recently just when the season kicked off that you know Overwatch League and and COD League kind of announced they're going to be exclusively streaming everything on YouTube Gaming. It's, it's a it's a it's a big play to make. 
Yeah, I think for discoverability, that's a, it's a good platform to be on. For folks looking for VODs and stuff, YouTube is the spot to be. That's what fans, I think, want. They, they want they want more smack talk, more matchups maybe, a bit more fiery. I don't know what they want from, you know, you can read, you get, you get lost in kind of comments from fans sometimes of what they actually want. Just make a good product. Speaking of that, Overwatch 2, is it going to bang, Malik? What are we saying? Uh, is it going to bang? I don't know. I, I only played the builds that they had at BlizzCon, and what I played felt a lot like Overwatch 1, but it looked better. Like they polished the game up, they changed the HUD, so it looks different, like the displays look different. So it felt like I was playing an updated version of Overwatch. It didn't really feel like a sequel. And I guess in my mind, when I, when, I, when you put that two behind a game, I, I expect it to be like completely redone or just complete a complete overhaul. And that's not quite what this was. This definitely felt like a, just more of an upscaling of sorts. Think of Destiny 1 to Destiny 2. Okay, yeah. There's definitely a, a consistency when it comes to Activision Blizzard games. I mean, I saw they announced the um, showcase the new Echo character, didn't they? Like, uh, I think, was it this week? Yeah, she's nuts. <laughs> when you can alt, like, what is it, 650% like, faster than others, like, to get your, you know, when you're kind of in the... Uh, when you hit your ultimate, kind of you can you can do, can't you mimic someone else like a different hero or something? I don't know. It, it seems like a wild character. Yeah, yeah. You can just become someone else. Yeah, it, it's. I don't know, man, how that's going to play out in the pro scene, but we'll see. It might be a yeah. There might be like a, a lot of limitations, I think. Um, but what I mean, what's what's you know, Overwatch aside, what is what is next for you? What's what you got your sights set on? You know, let's say the world restarts, kind of you know, an end of Q. Yeah, beginning of Q3, mid Q3, kind of around to, uh, June, July time. Like, what do you, is Apex where you want to go big or are you looking elsewhere too? Well, I mean, I'm I'm always looking to just be involved in esports, gaming. Uh, I got a podcast called The New Meta Show. Me and my friends are going to be counting down toward the next gen. Uh, so I'll be spending a lot of time working with that. I'm ready to get back on the road, man. I want to be get back into at at events. I had plans that were like at live events and getting antsy, getting very antsy. Yeah, I'm getting antsy. I guess to restructure things, uh, you know, that's kind of what I'm in the middle of doing right now. Just kind of figuring out like without live events, like how to do things. I'm going to put start putting out music again since I've gotten the time to. So I finished a lot of projects, and that should be fun. A man of many talents, Malik. A man of many talents. I went to a performing arts school, man. So I kind of was forced to. I had classes for everything. <laughs> um, before we let you go, man, before I let you go, I've got to ask you the, the question of all questions. It's a kind of like a kind of like a, a staple part of the, the Savage Situation podcast here, which is each guest, I ask them the top five games of all time. Ooh. It's a big question because, you know, it could be anything. Ooh. You say quick, though, but how, how does do people quick fire that? Sometimes they do. I, I say I say quick. But I don't really, I, I obviously know that some people are like, I want to give you like, people have people that have really talk, talked us through the game they like. Like, for instance, their favorite Zelda game and the reason that Zelda game is the best Zelda game. Well, yeah, because Majora's Mask. But uh, Majora's Mask, yeah. I like that. It's great. Yeah, I, I feel like Ocarina is going to be the, the majority decision and my hipster self would go against the grain and say Majora's Mask. But I actually like how dark it was. I was a dark a dark child, but no. Top five. SOCOM 2, Navy SEALs, U.S. Navy SEALs. Yeah, 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 okay. Shout outs to Sony for the uh, Sony PlayStation game. SOCOM 2. I know this is a Sony podcast, so I had to give Sony a shout out there. I love it. We have also NBA Street Volume 2. Oh, mate. You're bringing out the big guns here. Oh, yeah. what a game. Yeah, EA Big. I love, I love what they did with that. 
Um, it could be. I mean, this is it. They could be anything from the retro, from like old school retro, brand new, anything. Yeah. Um, this game is gonna surprise some people. Horizon Zero Dawn. Dude, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. What a game. I don't think that I played a game that polished. I think that's a, that's a, got to be the most polished game I've played in my life. Another Sony beauty right there as well. Yeah, yeah, man, Sony, you got a couple. You got a couple bangers. Once or twice, that's been kind of suggested in the past as being people's favorite games. So I think it's because it was, not it wasn't unexpected as such, but it was one of those games that came out and everyone was like, Jesus, this is phenomenal. Like, what? I didn't know I wasn't expecting this. Um, I love the the story arc was great. The the visuals, the the action, it was oh, what a great, what a great game. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think that, and it, they're re releasing it for the PC, so. I got to try it again and see uh, this game with its full technical potential and see what the, yeah, frame rate unlocked. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Next, I would have to say The Last of Us. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, don't, I think that game just has to crack everybody's top five. I don't see how it doesn't. It, it delivered something which is, I mean, it was one of the most emotional, like one of the most beautiful, most haunting i guess experiences in gaming form i think i think joel is the most successful anti-villain i've ever played as yeah okay because you're you you are sympathetic toward this villain you're playing as because joel's a dirty motherfucker and you excuse my language i don't know if i'm even allowed to but i'll be like um walt in breaking bad yeah yeah that is joel that's a perfect way to put it the final one that goes on this list Man, that's tough. It's tough, man, because this is this is everything comes down to this. In the moment, on the spot, I'm gonna go with Diablo. Okay, Diablo one, the first one. Uh, I played that game regular, like I played it through the story. Then I got online, and then I learned about like you know playing with other people, and then I learned about trainers, which was and this is me really exposing the fact that I got into the dark side of gaming which is like being a glitcher slash hacker anyway i played with the thing called a trainer and the trainer allowed you to basically buff your character uh duplicate gold duplicate weapons yada yada long story short i became what was known as a player killer or a pk i would go around and i would act like i want to go on raids with people like hey let's go here yo send me a town portal i'm gonna come to you and then i'd go to them and i kill them and take all their stuff and they curse me out and then I take, and I would collect their ear. You can collect the ears of players that are, you kill. And I did this for a while until I realized the the evil of my ways. And then I became a bounty hunter. And then people would give me gold to go after player killers. So then I started killing people who were doing the stuff that I used to do. And that was my Diablo life. I had a lot of fun. You're like you like yeah. Joel to me. You know, you're a son of a bitch, but I love you. I was an anti-villain. You were an anti-villain. Dude, that, I cannot believe you became a bounty hunter. That is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. The, That's a TV show waiting to happen. I, I think that was when I, deal, I dealt with the toxic side of myself uh, as a gamer. We, we, we need our bounty hunters in this world. <laughs> Great list, though, dude. What a, what a list. A varied list as well. But that, that last one for me was, was a beaut. Yeah, man. Malik, it's been an absolute joy having you on, dude. I've loved every second. Um, it's it's been. I really hope everything works out. You know, as sooner rather than later. Yeah, man. Same same for you, Adam. Uh, it's, it's been a minute, man. But uh, yeah, you've been doing great things, man. It's been fun to watch, man. You too, you too. Keep it real, my man. And uh, I look forward to catching up again soon. We must game together soon online. Yeah, man. I'm down for it. It's gonna happen. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the show. Don't forget to subscribe to the series so you're notified when the Savage Situation is back with a new episode. And if you enjoyed it, then rate it. I'm also on Twitter at Adam Savage. Drop me a follow and be sure to share how much you enjoyed this podcast with the people around you. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. A massive thanks to you guys for listening to this episode of the Savage Situation Podcast. It's been so much fun. Uh, do as well. Make sure to check out the YouTube videos. Mentioned this at the beginning. We have all these videos of the, the episodes on YouTube. We also have as well highlight clips. So make sure to check it all out. Savage Situation Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram. You know, we want to grow this community as big as we can. And you guys have been so supportive so far. And it's going to get bigger, better, faster, stronger. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. And we'll see you next week. That's right. On the next one. Take care for now. Thank you. And bye-bye. 